Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. Today is Monday, May 15th, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here by myself today because we're about to air my interview with Carlton Ward Jr. Before we get into things, we have a quick note from two sponsors today. The first is Vala Alta. Vala Alta's everyday handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the materials, historic craftsmanship, and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Our next sponsor is KitCaster. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Today on the planet today, we are joined by Carlton Ward Jr. Carlton is a National Geographic explorer and photographer who founded the Florida Wildlife Corridor Project in 2010, for which he trekked more than 2,000 miles during two expeditions supported by the National Geographic Society. In 2015, he launched the Path of the Panther Project, an impact campaign with National Geographic and other partners that helped inspire the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act in 2021. His book, Path of the Panther, was released on May 2nd, with an accompanying documentary released on Disney Plus on May 5th. Carlton, welcome to the planet today. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. We are absolutely thrilled to have you on. And, you know, my first question that I ask all of our guests is always, what first got you interested in environmentalism or wildlife in general? My interest in nature, you know, in, in conservation is something that kind of grew up with me. There wasn't some aha moment where all of a sudden I was a conservationist, but I think I've always had a sensitivity and connection to the natural world Mm -hmm. that was kind of fed by growing up in a place that was always rapidly developing. I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Florida in Pinellas County near the town of Clearwater. And at the time, and I still think today, it's the most densely populated county in the southeastern U.S. It's literally built out wall to wall with predominantly suburban living. And so the the remnants of nature that were left, the, the barrier islands, the things that were spared long enough from development to become state parks in the 1960s and 70s, they were these kind of portals back into time to what it used to be. And, you know, the pace of change in Florida, you can feel it. You can, you can, you can see how everything was, you can imagine just 50 or 100 years ago, how much it's been transformed. 
So I think that sense of change is something I've carried with me as I developed as a photographer and conservationist. You know, so much of Florida is on one hand brand new, but there's also this really deep heritage that's kind of hidden in plain sight. And I Mm -hmm. was tapped into that a little bit because my family's been in Florida for multiple generations and I still have cousins that are full-time cattle ranchers and have this connection to this other Florida that's kind of beyond the beaches. And so Mm -hmm. growing up with one foot in each of those two worlds, I think I always had this tension of we were losing it. And as I developed as a conservationist, as a photographer, I wanted to contribute my voice into trying to help in that space. It's it's really awesome that you took that path and something that you kind of touched on that we've touched on on the show a bunch of times is the idea of the Anthropocene and that every single aspect of nature is now impacted by humans. So to be out in the field, you know, working in areas that, you know, if you go back a hundred years, look totally different before rapid industrialization has kind of spread us out and spread our impacts and, you know, like I said, impacted every part of each ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that it's hard to see when you're in it. Mm-hmm. You know, that old that old saying about you want to cook a frog, you turn up the temperature gradually. Yeah. And if you're surrounded by suburban life anywhere in America, it's it's the world you know and it's what progress is supposed to look like. And it takes getting out of that world to sometimes see what things could be or understand the changes. You know, I, I grew up into surfing and I would travel to Costa Rica in high school sometimes. And I I remember that just that transition from a rainforested wild place back to a hardened landscape, you know, it it kind of fueled that drive to try to tell those other stories. Gotcha. So in, in telling those stories, I want to talk a bit about path of the Panther and what led you to start working on this project and how has it kind of progressed since then? You know, great question. Um, the whole point of the Path of the Panther project is to raise awareness and inspire the protection of the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And the Florida Wildlife Corridor is a network of land and water that goes throughout the entire peninsula and through the panhandle, comprised of existing public lands. Florida has 10 million acres of existing public lands, which comprise 25, more than 25% of the state. But with the pace of development that's coming here, all those national parks, state forests, national preserves are at risk of becoming islands surrounded by development if we don't keep the green space in between connected. So the Florida Wildlife Corridor is 18 million acres, 10 million are protected, 8 million are opportunity areas, but there's still a compatible landscape, whether that's a timber farm or an orange grove or open rangeland that can help sustain the function and connection of those ecosystems. My journey into that project started in about 2006. I was photographing for my first Florida-based book called Florida Cowboys Keepers of the Last Frontier. And I was spending time on lots of these ranch lands that were some of the best wildlife habitat in the state, but also being converted to development sometimes at a rate of like 100,000 acres a year. Oh, wow. And so in the process of telling that story, I learned about black bears that were living almost entirely on cattle ranches. And I met a bear biologist named Joe Guthrie who was putting GPS collars on the bears and learning about their movements across multiple properties. And those bears told a story that 
all these green spaces that you could see on a satellite map are still functionally connected for wide-ranging wildlife like a Florida black bear. And so I started to learn more about the science of wildlife corridors. And I learned that Florida had been a pioneer in that science. And a guy named, a professor named Larry Harris at the University of Florida had written a book in 1984 called The Fragmented Forest. And it was about the notion of fragmentation and the importance of connection for biodiversity. And his academic successors at the University of Florida, including Reed Noss, who went on to University of Central Florida, and Tom Hochter, who runs the Geoplan Center at the University of Florida, authored something called the Florida Ecological Greenways Network. And this is a vision for connecting up all the conservation hubs and conservation landscapes throughout the state. So at the time that I learned about that, that science of the Greenways Network had remained relatively obscure at least to the mainstream public and to the decision makers. And that's where the idea for the Florida Wildlife Corridor project was born. It was to assimilate the science of the Ecological Greenways Network, help give it an identity through a story that could be more accessible to the public, could be more accessible to the people who are making the decisions about the future of those lands. So I really had no idea the scope of what I was getting into 15 years ago. And when I raised my hand at a bear workshop and said, that's really awesome. Can we string all those regional linkages together and call them Florida Wildlife Corridor so we can grow this conversation? I had no idea that that was going to lead to a thousand mile expedition and another thousand mile expedition. And then coming off the heels of the second big expedition in 2015, a conversation with my editor at National Geographic, where I told her I wanted to do a story about the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And she told me, well, I don't think National Geographic is interested in a story just about a wildlife corridor, hmm. but we might be interested in a story on the Florida Panther. And you could tell the story of the corridor through that. So a 15-minute conversation in 2015 sent me on a six-year-long quest to get a feature story for National Geographic magazine. It's the hardest thing I've ever attempted in my career, but um, the huge learning experience and using camera traps and putting myself in pursuit of the Florida Panther as a window into telling the story of the corridor. That's so cool. It just seems like a perfect case of right place, right time to pitch that idea and, you know, just be very flexible with, hey, maybe this isn't the immediate focus, but you can tell this entire story through the lens of the Florida Panther. That That's so fascinating. It, I mean, it's to look back on it, it's kind of crazy how much time it took, but she was right. It makes sense because through the story of the Florida Panther, we've been able to elevate the story of the Florida wildlife corridor to entirely new audiences. And, you know, so excited that this week with the new book path of the Panther coming out. And we also have a new film coming out on national geographic and Disney plus on May 5th. And so for the, you know, for the first time in, in all my time doing this, we have the story of the Florida wildlife corridor in a form that we can really share it with the world. That's got to be so exciting and I'm sure definitely nerve wracking as well, but I hope, I hope it's mostly exciting. <laughs> no, it, no, it's, it's, it's tremendously exciting to be able to share the story. And I have so much encouragement by how people have connected with the story already because mm-hmm. throughout this project, there've been different phases of it. And in, tw- in 2021, we worked with partners at other conservation organizations and proposed the Florida Wildlife Corridor we recognized in state legislation. Oh, wow. And it was the exact same time that the Florida Panther story was coming out in National Geographic Magazine with that double-spread Florida Wildlife Corridor map right in the middle, and we distributed magazines to 
all the state lawmakers and worked with conservation partners and landowners to workshop the language. And the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act passed in 2021 with unanimous bipartisan support. And the idea of the corridor connected with leaders to a level where they invested many folds more money into land conservation as a result because that land conservation had a story that made sense. Mm -hmm. And so that's been so encouraging. I'm so thankful to the leaders who have stepped up and invested in this infrastructure that really sustains everybody. And the Florida Panther, our state animal here, has been an emblem that's helped carry that message. That is amazing. So I I do want to ask one specific question about the book. Um, It highlights the importance of protecting Florida's natural heritage, which we've been alluding to. What can people, readers, viewers of the documentary who maybe don't live in Florida, um, what can they do to help with this conservation? Well, wildlife corridors are a global solution for protecting biodiversity. And when you think about it for a second, a wildlife corridor really is just like the negative space of all of our human-driven activities on the landscape across the past couple of centuries. Mm. Two centuries ago, or even 100 years ago, you didn't need a wildlife corridor. It just was. Yeah. It was a connect, It was connected landscape. It was nature. It was the earth that we had inherited from hundreds of thousands of millions of years of evolution. And scientists tell us that we need to save half the planet for nature and biodiversity by the year 2050 in order to have a balance of life on earth. Mm-hmm. Less than 20% of the earth's land and water is currently protected. So we have a long way to go. And it can seem overwhelming, the idea that we have to protect more than 30% of the planet in the next 25 years. But if you start to think about wildlife corridors as a framework, it's, it's a really logical way to achieve those large landscape conservation goals that will maintain the migration corridors for wildlife and the climate corridors for animals and plant life to adapt and also the resiliency in the green space that's the heart and lungs of the planet. It's it's all the same solution, but in our human brains that like to plan things and visualize things, having a framework and an infrastructure, I think can be really helpful to put it in compatible terms. You know, the same way that if you're going to build a new road, there's a 10-year planning process and a public scoping process and engagement with landowners and an identity and a vision for what's, what you're trying to accomplish, whether it's a railway or a road. Like, that's how we and our Western brains connect to infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And for too long, nature's just been taken for granted as a sunk cost. It's just always going to be there. Well, no, the the natural infrastructure needs to be envisioned, planned for, funded, and, and built into our story too. And that's the only way we're going to sustain this balance. Yeah, it's an interesting point too, because we were, I forget if, how, when we were talking about this on the show, but biodiversity also has such a tremendous impact on GDP. And it, my thoughts have always been, it really shouldn't take quantifying money loss when talking about protecting biodiversity, we should do it because it's the right thing to do for the planet. It's the right thing to do for our local ecosystems as well as the global ecosystem. Unfortunately, some people are way more motivated by the bottom line of it. And even if that's the only focus that people have, protecting biodiversity is still such a good investment across any single avenue we look at it from. Yeah, that's a great comparison. 
and it and it really it matters about timeline. I mean, all the economics, none of the economics work when it's just on a quarterly term or on an election cycle. But when you look at economics on the long term, which any corporation has to do for true sustainability, that's that's what we have to do with nature too. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great reckoning of timeframes and frameworks that, you know, puts nature at least closer to where it needs to be in our priorities. Yeah. The one we always bring up is pollinators where, you know, people will say it's so expensive to try to save pollinators. It's a lot more expensive if we lose all of the food that we rely on pollinators to produce in the States or like internationally. So yeah, I I hate that sometimes we do have to bring finances into wildlife conservation, but it's necessary at this point, unfortunately. So my next question for you is maybe without giving away too much from the book, that way people, if you're reading or listening right now, swipe up, link is in your show notes to go buy the book or watch the movie. What would you hope that people's takeaway from this project is? I want people to leave with a vision of hope that we can still save amazing, wild, intact places, even in one of the fastest growing parts of America. And as a Floridian with great pride in our nature and our heritage, I want people to understand and fall in love with this Florida the way I have. I mean, this book is a love letter to wild Florida told through the story of the Florida Panther and all the amazing characters and other people that I met along the way. It's a miracle in many ways that we have an apex predator a wide-ranging species like the Florida panther, the last puma surviving east of the Mississippi River, you know, against all odds at the brink of recovery, coming north out of the Everglades to potentially repopulate historic territory throughout Florida and beyond. And it's kind of a symbol of what's going on with the whole planet. Um, In the film, and there's an essay in the book by one of my heroes, Betty Osceola, who's a a leader and an environmental advocate with the Miccosukee tribe of Indians in Florida, And the way she speaks about the land having a memory. And she says it's like a seed waiting to be reborn. And the panther encompasses that idea that it's still there. And if we protect the land that it needs and give it space and give it coexistence, it can come back along with the whole ecosystem that it represents. I absolutely love that. And that's a perfect segue into what my next question was going to be. Um, Path of the Panther discusses indigenous cultures and their relationships specifically with land and wildlife. So what do you hope that readers learn about the peoples that you talk to? Everywhere in our country, you know, anybody listening to this show in, in the United States is, is sitting or standing or driving to work or living on native land. You know, and the Seminole people, the Miccosukee people, the, the last native people in the state of Florida or native people throughout America, they are the keepers of the knowledge and the legacy of that land that was taken from them in so many ways. Um, There's so much to learn from their indigenous knowledge, from their wisdom, from their perspective. Once a year, there's a storyteller summit or an explorer's festival at National Geographic. And in the past couple of years, one of the quotes that stuck out to me was that the future is ancestral. Mm. And it's by looking at that native knowledge, that 
innate connection, that wisdom and perspective about not conquering nature, but living within nature and understanding that paradigm. That's really the only hope this planet has. Hmm. And I'm so thankful that these native voices still exist and people like Betty have been gracious and generous enough to share their time and wisdom with me, with others, with the viewers of the film and the readers of the book. And there's so much hope in her words, in her perspective. And I hope that we can contribute to lifting those ideas a little further. Yeah. And I think, you know, the same could be said for one of the, one of the regions that we've spoken a lot about on this show is the Midwest and how the relationship between colonial America and the American bison is really famous at this point for something that we just hunted for sport. And it was an animal that is still so relied upon for the culture of the tribes that live out in the American Midwest. That's not unique to just that animal or just that region. And I'm, I'm very excited to sit down. I know the book when we're recording comes out tomorrow. I'm very excited to dive into this and to learn more about indigenous tribes of Florida and the relationship with the Panther and just wildlife in general there. So something that you had brought up earlier was wild intact places and this natural Florida, you know, Florida, the way that it has been, what challenges do Florida's wildlands face today that are unique to that region? Well, there, there's some universal challenges for one, and that is habitat loss, Mm. climate change and general disconnection of people from those landscapes and people from the ideas and the identities of those landscapes. I think all of those things are universal challenges that wild and tech places face across the globe. Florida is like an accelerator because it's a peninsula surrounded by ocean on both sides. It's hardly more than a hundred miles wide and you have a thousand people moving here every single day. And it's been that way on average across most of my lifetime. And so you can literally see ranches in wild lands turning to rooftops. If you look at places, even across a period of months and definitely across a period of years. And so the pace and the rate of that change is an alarm bell for this notion that nature is infinite. You, know, you grow up as a little kid and it's a huge world and the ocean looks infinite and the forest and the wild places look infinite. Hmm. But the pace of change that you see here is as fast as anywhere in the United States. And I think that contrast is what really draws out this story. You know, we're sitting here in 2023. Um, one of the turning points in my journalism and storytelling was an interview I did with my great uncle, Doral Carlton Jr. back in 1999. And I was writing a magazine story for a class at the University of Florida and had to do a personality profile. I went out with Uncle Doyle across his family's ranch in a place called Horse Creek in Hardy County. It's interior to Bradenton in the watershed of the Peace River Valley, which feeds down to the Gulf of Mexico near Charlotte Harbor. And we went out on a drive across his land and he told me about as a boy how they would work the cattle moving them on horseback through the pine woods camping out under the stars for two or three nights at a time and never seeing a fence and so to think about 
the pace of change in one man's lifetime, who when he was born in the 1920s, Florida had fewer than one million people. In just the matter of one century, our population has gone up more than 20 times. And so it's like an accelerator for what is happening in so many parts of the world. And it makes it that much more miraculous that we still have millions of acres of connected wild places in the heart of Florida where an animal like the Florida panther can still roam and hunt a deer at night. And there's still places where you're not going to ride for three days without seeing a fence, but you can get on a horse outside Orlando and you can ride across unbroken green space except for roads and fences for nearly 200 miles to Lake Okeechobee and all the way down, if they would have let you, all the way through Big Cypress National Preserve and Everglades National Park. So there, there is a Western scale conservation landscape hidden here in the east in the shadow of two widely known and developed coastlines and we have a remarkable chance to still protect that well like i said i'm, I'm very excited to read the book and and you know get a feel for the hope and and the chance to protect that that you're talking about here my last question for you is i'm i'm sure that there are people listening right now who have said wow working for national geographic as a writer as a photographer that's a dream job. What advice would you give to someone like that and how to get started and, you know, really any, anything there? You know, I'm going to give some advice that one of my national geographic role models gave me 20 years ago, a photographer named Jim Brandenburg, who I met at a workshop straight out of college. And I said, what advice would you give someone like me who wants to be a national geographic photographer like you someday? And he said, keep your enthusiasm that's going to serve you well because that's the thing that's going to drive your curiosity and your perseverance to, to keep going and find your way. Mm -hmm. In my case, it's always been a combination of photography and conservation. That's not necessarily the formula for everybody. The key thing, if you want to publish stories in a place like national geographic is to learn the craft of storytelling. Mm. And that was a slower learning process for me coming out of the sciences. I am, I actually had to like, two sides of my brain's fighting, the science brain and the art brain. But it's really that storytelling that allows these issues to break through. And so do internships. Find photographers or filmmakers or writers who you admire and try to do apprenticeships or work with them. I did three internships at the Smithsonian Institution before I actually got my first job that allowed me to do work in Central Africa and publish my first book. And so you have to stick with it, but find those organizations who you admire and who are making a difference because conservation photography does not happen in isolation. It's not just a National Geographic Explorer with a camera out there saving the world. It's a photographer with a camera in partnership with conservation organizations and landowners and people who are on the front lines fighting these issues every day that give your story relevance and impact and then give your pictures greater meaning. So it's, it's, a, it's a natural synergy. I, I wrote my graduate thesis on the topic of conservation photography back in 2007, and it drew out some themes of what makes successful conservation photography. And invariably, the photography was done in partnership with one or more organizations who were fighting that fight. People know about Ansel Adams. They don't necessarily know that Ansel Adams was on the board of directors of the Sierra Club for more than 30 years. And so it's that marriage of art and science and advocacy that seems to break through to the mainstream and break through to lasting results. Got it. 
Carlton, thank you so much for your time today. This has been such an interesting interview for me. It was a ton of fun and I'm really excited for our listeners to hear it. Thank you, Matt. Likewise, I can't wait to hear the finished product and to keep in conversation with everybody. Please help spread the word, check out the film and tell all your friends to watch. Absolutely. So if people want to keep up with you and keep up with your work, where is the best place or places to do that? I'm active on Instagram at Carlton Ward. You can also see the project at Path of the Panther, carltonward.com, pathofthepanther.com. Right now, the Path of the Panther website is a great place to get information about the book, future book signings, film screening events. And there's a whole section on taking action where you can add your voice to fight for wildlife corridors here in Florida and learn about them elsewhere. Perfect. We will link all of those in the show notes. So if you're listening now, just swipe up and click on any of those. Carlton, we add all of our interviews with three fun, rapid-fire questions. Ready? Yes. Number one, what is your favorite animal? Right now, the Florida panther. (laughs) There you go. Number two, what is something that you do to be more sustainable in your day-to-day life? Um, I don't feel sustainable right now because I'm working too much and not resting enough. But um, (laughs) from a sustainability standpoint, I try not to drive when I don't need to. That's great. And number three, what is one topic you think our listeners should be more aware of after hearing from you today? I would hope that your listeners are tuned into the idea of wildlife corridors and how they can be a solution, not just for protecting wildlife, but bring people together from different backgrounds and different geographies to protect the common ground that they ultimately share. Awesome. Thank you again. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Matt. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We'll be back on Friday for another episode. If you're new here, we do current events that we call our quick-hitting stories of the week every single Friday, so come check it out. Thanks again to Carlton for his time today. Make sure if you're listening right now, you swipe up and go check out the book, the documentary, Path of the Panther. You can also check out our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT until the next episode. For the Planet Today, I am Matt Norton. See you on Friday. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.